Let's return for one last time to the book of John, the sixth chapter. This is uh, the launching point for where we're going. Remember, we spent a lot of time leading up to Easter. Um, we talked about the series, The Bread of Life, in which Jesus talked about himself being the bread of life. And it has direct correlation where we're going to go. So I want to look at it one, one final time, at least from our sort of overall perspective, where we left off last week. John 6, Jesus is speaking. He says this, most surely, or very truly, I tell you this, I say this to you, that he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. Now he hearkens back to the moment that we're going to be looking at. He hearkens back to a historical time in their, in their past where their forefathers experienced God's amazing miracle, miracle provision of manna, or what was called bread from heaven, food, that God gave them in the wilderness. He says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, but they're dead. That, that miracle, as, as magnificent as it was, could only sustain them at a physical level, and that only for a certain amount of time. Ultimately, Jesus says, they died. He goes, I'm talking about an even greater miracle than that. I'm talking about the bread that's been sent from heaven, but it's the true bread of heaven. Look what he says, verse 50. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of this world. He says, I will give myself. I will, this bread of who I am will be broken that you may live if you will, if you will take it and receive it. Now, when Jesus is talking about the bread that his, their, their ancestors were fed with miraculously in the wilderness, he's pointing back to a moment in the book of Exodus that we're going to look at. What's interesting, again, to note is the value, uh, for anyone who's really serious about growing with the Lord, the value of learning not simply the New Testament, but also the Older Testament. It's so clear here. Jesus is pulling, and he's pointing backwards to something. He's saying that, and again, so much of the New Testament is rooted in the Old, and so much of the Old points to the new. They're interrelated. One, yes, is much different than the other. There's no question that the way things play out in the Older Testament um, is, is, is relating to us something that is sometimes far more difficult to relate to culturally. And yet, the New Testament really works off of an understanding of the Older Testament. And so there is huge value, even as Jesus points out here, in being able to wed the two and see them as a unit. Now, keeping that in mind, let's go to this moment that Jesus is referring to here in Exodus 16. We're going to sit with it, we're going to look at it, and then we're going to apply it to this idea of, of, of living a more effective life in terms of being a follower of Jesus. So let's look at Exodus 16. It says, and again, they were in the wilderness, they had just left Egypt, they were running out of food, God provides them in a miracle fashion food. And the, one of the things that he sent them was quail. We just sang in the song, it was mentioned. And also he gave them this bread from heaven, this manna, this seed-like substance that tasted like honey. We'll talk about that. Verse 13. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. And it says, the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. And when the dew evaporated, there was this flaky substance. It was as fine as frost, and it blanketed the ground. And the Israelites were puzzled when they saw it, and they said, what is it? Which is, by the way, what manna means. What is it? And they asked each other. They had, they had no idea <clears throat> what it was. And then Moses told them, you've been asking for food. You've been asking, how is God going to take care of us? He goes, this is the food the Lord has given you to eat. And these are the Lord's instructions. And he has something that he wants you to do. Here are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs, not more, as much as it needs. Pick up, he says, and we would use this in our measuring, uh, two quarts for each person in your tent. And so the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. 
So some were more able to gather more. Some were older, perhaps. Some were infirmed. But the idea is that everybody gathered, but when they totaled it all and brought it all together, there was enough for everyone. Uh, some people gathered more than others, but, but they pulled their resources. They found that it actually came out to be sufficient so that everybody had a similar amount. And it says here <clears throat> that um, when, they, when they measured it out, when they shared it with one another, verse 18, everyone had just enough. And those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. And then Moses told them, he says, don't keep, and by the way, one more thing, don't keep any of it um, to the next day. He says, it's, it's just, uh, it's not going to be able to uh, last. It will, the implication is, uh, you know, you, I hear Moses saying, just don't do it, okay? Just don't, just get enough only for what you need. Trust me, the next day God will provide. Don't feel like you have to hoard this. Don't hold it over. Look what happens. But, <laughs> but some of them didn't listen um, and kept some of it until morning, but by then, it was full of maggots, and it had a terrible smell. And Moses was angry with them. He was angry for probably two reasons. One, they didn't listen to him. And two, the place stunk really bad, right? It must have smelled like a garbage dump, because clearly, everybody who had not, <laughs> the fact that it smelled so bad was an indication that most people had taken either a little bit more than they were supposed to, or had not fully ate, eaten everything because they were afraid that they might not last for the next day. And so they kept some aside. And this kind of, you know, the reason they did that is because in many ways, we, and we can, we can identify with this, they had, a, they had a scarcity, kind of a scarcity mentality. I mean, they were afraid. They were afraid that, that, uh, that this wouldn't be enough. And so they had to take care of themselves. And so even though they were told, don't, don't do that, they, they secretly did it. And they put it aside. Maybe, and we're not quite clear as to exactly what everybody's single person's motive was. But one thing is pretty clear is that they, didn't, they, they had a problem with really trusting God. And so their fear was greater than their capacity to trust. You know, one of the things that we're reminded of is the danger in allowing fear to sort of um, dictate how we make decisions in life. Because a lot of times, if we, if fear can get us to, to compromise in areas of our lives that we would have previously um, never really um, been willing to, to, do, to do, or somehow to justify something that we might consider to be somewhat unethical. I mean, I look at how a lot of times some things occur because someone was afraid. And out of that fear, um, and the need to, to kind of take care of myself. One compromise is made, another one is made to cover up the one that was made. And sometimes people continue to start to get stuck in such a situation that by the time they're done, you know, they're in big trouble. And it all started, it all started because of fear, uh, of a fear just that, that caused us to maybe blur the lines a little bit on what we would normally be okay doing. And that can also happen relationally as well. And one of the things that God's trying to teach his people, and again, they ha they have, they've had a very fear-based past. And he's trying to teach them and train them and really help them to learn how to trust him. Moses said, don't take more than you need. God will provide. But they, 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 they had to clutch it, right? They had to do it because they were afraid. He won't, he won't, he won't. And so they held it back. And so there's really good, it's, 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 you can see it, you know. Trust is something that God wants to teach us how to move into. A follower of Jesus is called to a life of trust, not of fear. We rarely do decisions made out of fear, out of a fear context, produce anything good. I mean, the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. Um, I've talked about this before, but fear has a way of constricting our capacity to be problem solvers. And we don't think creatively. We get closed up and afraid, and we do things that we shouldn't do. We become, uh, we can even do destructive things that are damaging. So again, we're extrapolating a little bit, but you can see how Moses is trying to say, look, trust God. Learn how to live this way. He's, don't feel like you have to sort of live deceptively. You don't need to do that. But they did. They were doing that, and he was trying to teach them. Now watch what happens next. It says after this, uh, the people gather the food morning by morning, and each family according to its need, and the, sun, and the sun became hot, the flakes that they had not picked up, they just melted and disappeared. So one of the things we're also told here is that the, some of the manna that was left over on the ground, as the, day, the heat of the day began to come, whatever was left, it, didn't, it, it just evaporated. So in opposite, the part that was kept sort of closed up and overnight would get corroded and, and uh, rotten, but the part that was just sort of left out there, by the middle of the day, it was melted and gone. And so this is a distinction we're being told about. Look what it says here. On the sixth day, they gathered up twice as much as usual. They were told to do this, four quarts. So Moses says, basically, on the sixth day, though, we actually do want you to gather more than you would normally gather. There'll be more there. But on that sixth day, take twice as much. Take what we would call about four quarts worth per person. And then use that on the seventh day. Because on 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 the sixth day, the reason you're being given twice as much is because on the seventh day, there won't be any. And then he goes on to tell them, this is what the Lord wants you to do. And the leaders of the community, look in verse 22, they were, they were going, why? What, what's going on here? Why, why are you having us do this? What's the point of it? You're saying, you know, God, every day we're supposed to collect it, but on a sixth day, collect twice as much? What's the point of this? And then Moses tells them, look, this is, this is what the Lord commanded. This is what he wants, and here's what he wants. He says tomorrow is going to be, this is what he wants you to do. He wants tomorrow to be a day when you don't work. He wants tomorrow to be a day of rest. He wants it to be a Sabbath, a holy Sabbath, Saturday. Collect twice as much on Friday, rest on Saturday. In fact, he wants you to spend that time um, just with one another, eating together, talking together, recreating yourself, talking with God, thinking about him, um, being rested. He's not just about work. He's not about driving you. I mean, this is like a foreign concept. Do you understand what he's saying? I am commanding you to do nothing, but not really. And that's not just doing nothing. It's, it's about man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from my mouth. It's about tuning your ear to the voice of the creator. It's about calming your spirit down. It's about breaking out of a pattern so that you're open at a soul level to God. You are not just a people who I'm trying to drive. You see it? Even here in the Older Testament, when there's no, there's no Savior that's been given yet, no bridge to God in quite the same way that Jesus is going to make it change everything in the economy of God. And yet still, you can hear the tenderness of the Lord coming out for his people. Look at this. He says, look, it says, he tells them, look, this is what I want you to do. Get twice as much, and in, in, back to verse 23, it's going to be a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today, this Friday, and set aside what is left for tomorrow. And so they put some aside until the morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome. It was good. There were without maggots or odor. And Moses said, eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day. It's dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days. Again, I'm just reminding you, but on the seventh day, that's a day of rest. Don't work. There will be food, no food on the ground that day. And just remember, I'm telling you that. But what it says in verse 27, and yet still... 
Some of the people went out anyway, right, on that seventh day. But they found no food. I know you're going, why? He just told you exactly what was going to happen. On Friday, did you see there was twice as much? I know, I know, I know. But just in case, right, just in case. So they went out anyway. And, and you can even hear God. And, and the way it's communicated, is it, it's even more like God's coming down to our level. And he's just like talking. And he, he's talking as if he's relating to us at a, almost at a human level. Look what he says. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize, look at this phrase, they must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. This is not, this command is a gift. This is, do you understand what I'm, the Lord said? Do you understand? They don't get it. I'm giving them this gift, and it's like they don't believe me. They're not trusting me. Look what he says. He says, that is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day. Don't you see that? So that there's enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Don't go out and pick up food on the seventh day. And finally, they got it. And they says they stopped doing it because there was nothing there. And, and they ended up calling it. Look at verse 31. It says the Israelites called the food manna. Again, which means, what is it? And then it was white, we're told, like uh, coriander seed. And it tasted like honey wafers. So it, it had a seed-like quality that they could grind it and make bread from it. I mean, they learned how to do, every, if you read on, they learned how to do every conceivable recipe with manna that you could think of. <laughs> manna this, manna that, you know, baked manna, ro- you know, whatever. I mean, I don't, they had manna everything. Manna burgers, they said. You know, just manna. And it got to the point where it went from something they were really enjoying to something that they just actually, t- <laughs> they despised it after a while. It was like manna every, manna, manna, manna. You know, after a while, they, they got bored with the, with the novelty and it wore off and, and uh, they, were, they were grudgingly grudgingly grateful for it, but that's another story. Let me, let me get into this last piece here and talk about it as it relates to us as followers of Jesus. And this is really my, where my, my real passion for this is here. And it's because I believe that, that you know, for centuries, uh, Bible commentators, writers, students of the scriptures have looked at what happened with Israel and the journey that they made through the wilderness and said, you know what, there are so many lessons for us to learn. If, for those of us who would live the, the effective um, life in Christ. And so there are real clues here, principles, gems of wisdom that God makes available to us, principally speaking, that if we will think about them and appropriate them, will produce something of a greater degree of effectiveness in our life as a follower of the Lord. And so the first one is something to take note of. And we'll call this number one. It's basically this, that notice this about the Christian life, the effective Christian life. The Christian life is lived most effectively, number one, when it is lived as a daily life. And notice that the manna, when, when was the manna to be gathered? It was to be gathered daily. Um, it was something that was, with the exception of the seventh day, it was designed to be done on a daily basis. See, there's a rhythm. There's a rhythm to it. And it, it, the dailiness of it, why? You know, I mean, you think about it. It, it reminds us of the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus, you know, he's, he's saying, look, to his disciples, who, who looked at Jesus, he must have, something about the way Jesus prayed must have stirred this question, because they said, Lord, will you teach us how to pray like you pray? And Jesus said, well, you, when you pray, pray kind of like this. And he gave them a model prayer. And that prayer has become something we've known over time as the Lord's Prayer. Some have called it actually, actually the disciples' prayer. But either way, part of that prayer, if you think about it, our, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then what's the next? Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus immediately links us into the dailiness of the Christian life. That is not, it's, it's something that is meant to be experienced anew every day. 
that there's a certain aspect of this life with the Lord that is designed to start afresh because yesterday's blessing, like yesterday's manna, will not be sufficient for us today. It needs to be a new thing. The manna cannot be stored overnight. I, I was, when I was just starting to follow the Lord as a young believer, I wanted to grow, and I was reminded of the importance of having a daily time with the Lord. And I was taught early that if this is going to work right in your life, you need to have daily time to collect your manna, as it were, to, to let the word of God come into your life on a daily basis because each new day is a gift from his hand. As the psalmist says, today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. A new day, a new opportunity. Every day brings a new possibility with it. And it's a new, in a way, each day is a new beginning. And it's a time to know God afresh. Secondly, there's, we're also given another principle here, that, that the Christian life is mo lived most effectively when it's, it's also when we consider the fact that, that there is a unique blessing. We remember that there is a unique blessing associated with the morning time, right? The morning hour is sometimes called. That frequently throughout the Bible, there's constant reminders. And it doesn't mean that we can't go to God in the evening and uh, throughout the different parts of the day. You know, Psalms does say that in the morning, evening, at noon, will I pray and cry aloud, and, 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 and there's a certain value. Obviously, I know people who take a time at lunch, and they spend time, a little bit of time reading God's Word, and there are others. Um, you know, like I said, I mentioned that my wife and I, we were spending time in the evening. We've been trying to close out our, our night, and it's been a really good discipline to, to say, look, this is, we're going to read our, the Scriptures together, and, and then just do a small point of prayer. The real blessing to us. And, you know, so, but I'll say that there is a difference between the morning and the evening. Uh, there's no question there is. I mean, by the time we get to the evening, the day has been done. Whatever has been is over. It's almost like a whole different feel. It's almost like I'm looking back and I'm saying, thank you, Lord, for this day. I prepare myself to rest so that I may face a new day afresh. That, that there's something about it. That, that morning is now the day begins. It's beginning. But one is, is a point of completion, an ending, right? So just kind of keeping that in mind. You know, I was, we were reminded that Jesus is actually a model for this. Look at this verse in, in the book of Mark. Look, look what it says here that Jesus did. It says that in the, now in the morning, notice that, you know, having risen a long time before daylight, it says that Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed, right? So it's this whole idea that Jesus himself models that. He, he had a practice of rising early. And if that's true of our Lord who is our example. How much more does that have a benefit for you and I? Again, uh, look at this. Psalm 119 says this. It, the psalmist writes, he says, I, I rise before the dawning of the morning, and I will, what? I will cry for help. And, and not only will I cry for help, but I will, I will hope in your word. I will cry for help and hope in your word. In other words, I, I rise up early, Lord. I cry for you. There are things we need God's help in. We need him to show up in. I will cry for help, and I will hope, and I will, I will let your word bring hope into me. I will meditate on it. I will hope in it. I will strengthen myself in it at the beginning of the day. I, mean, I was thinking about this because, again, there, there is something about that morning hour. Uh, think about it. Israel was instructed to gather the manna when? In the morning, at the opening of the day. In the morning, because by midday, what had happened? He says, by midday, it's melted, it's evaporated, it's gone. And what he was saying is, that blessing is available to you, but it's only available to you in this way in the morning. And you know, you think about it in life, I mean, it's in a typical day for you and me, so much of our day 
by the time we get into the middle of our day, man, it is just, we, you know, we got stuff, we got deadlines, we got calls, we got to get back, we're tired, we've been working, we're in the middle, we've got stuff going on, errands around, we got something, a deadline I got to keep, I got to get back to that, I got to take care of this, I'm going there. I mean, our day, it's really hard by the middle of the day to really make time to pull out of what's going on, even if we have the energy to do so, and just sort of like say, okay, I'm gonna be with you now, Lord, because there's other stuff just flying around, right? We're, we've got agendas, we've got things that are happening, we've gotta to get to them, we gotta finish it up, and this is all there. It's, you know what, in the, that, that happens a lot in the morning before we get into the middle of our day. That's the time to really spend it. By just say, hey, look, let me just talk about 15, 20 minutes to still our heart before the Lord, express our heart to him, to let his words settle into us, to ask God, Lord, give me grace for this day. I welcome you into my life on a daily basis. I ask you, Lord, to speak to my heart. I ask you to open your words to me, even as I read them. And maybe I've read these words many, many times, but let them come alive to me. In some cases, we will find that his word becomes a word for us in a particular situation of our life. And we're almost moved to claim this in a very special way for our own, own life. God's word becomes a light into our path and a lamp into our feet. It begins to cre- create an, an opening for us. We begin to settle our heart in first things. We, things get perspective when we stop and, and spend our moment in the morning before the Lord. Before, Lord, before this day goes, and who, who can say what this day will bring? But I pray that you will lead me in it. I pray that you will keep my feet from evil and, and, and lead me into good places and and good conversations, maybe even a divine appointment will come our way, and we're prepared for it. You know, we meet somebody, we have a conversation. That's what I mean by a divine appointment. God sends somebody intersecting with our path, and all of a sudden, we were meant to speak words of life, and they come out because our soul is alive, and we fed ourselves with God, and there's something there to draw from. It's not just an empty cupboard, right? It's, it's, it's real in us. This is meant to be a real thing, a daily thing, and it happens best sometimes in the morning hour. Thirdly, it happens, the Christian life also occurs and is most effective when, when how can I say it, when effort is expended. It's not, a, it's not meant to be a passive thing, right? I mean, I, and I hesitate to make too much of this, but the manna did not just like grow on a tree. He just say, you know, pluck it off the tree. I mean, he, it fell on the ground, and in order for Israel to get it, how, how are they going to get it? It was like, you get out there, and it's going to be on the ground. So you have to see the symbol. To get the manna, you had to either stoop down and kind of collect it, or you had to just kind of like bend down and just put it in there. And I, don't, I mean, I don't know how it was, but the bottom line was you had to get down. And, to, and, and there's something about humbling ourselves before God. There's something about even the position of prayer. You know, I know sometimes people make fun of it, you know, you know but you know what? There's something about just saying, Lord, I humble myself before you. You know, sometimes just coming to our knees is a way of saying, Lord, you are greater than I am. And I am broken. I'm at my best. I don't do this right all the time, but I need you. I need your forgiveness, Lord, or I, I need you to show up, Lord, or I appeal to you, God, or I'm with you, Lord, in this. I just ask you to be with me, Lord. I, I come. I bow myself before you. What does it say God does? God resists the proud, but what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. And I know, I know, we can bow down and just kind of go through. I get that. What I'm talking about, what it was really meant to be, is a way of saying, God, I need you, and I'm open. You see that? That's a position of prayer. You read the Bible. You know what? Positions matter. The Bible actually matters. Lifted hands. I surrender to you, Lord. I'm open to you, Lord. I know people who sometimes just start their day. They say, Lord, I'm open, and then um, I surrender this to you. It's just just But that position, the idea that they had to get low to gather, there's something there. 
And, and not just that, they had to gather it. It, it wasn't like, you know, just, you just sit there and then it just like whoosh, jumped in on its own. You had, to, you had to get it into the container, right? You had to effort, effort. What does Jesus say? Ask, it shall be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. What is that? <laughs> Every one of those things implies what? Effort, action on our part. What is Jesus saying? This is no passive, casual deal. There are times for silence. There are times for reflection. I get that. But what Jesus was saying is some of this will only happen with effort. With effort. Ask. Well, that's just... Ask. Seek. What is seeking? I mean, it's like I lost something. I got to find it. Where is that thing? What did I do with it? Where is it? Seek. I'm looking for it. I'm trying to find it. It matters. I'm I'm, I'm doing something. There's effort expended. Knock at the door. Don't we get to the door? I just kind of wait. No, I'm knocking on the door. Open it up, Lord. You see what he's saying? Look, in Hebrews 11, book of first, get this, this is a huge verse. It's one, of the, it's one of the, I think it's one of the greatest verses in the New Testament. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And, you know, the, the, for he who comes to God must believe, number one, that he is, so that God exists, and, is, and, and two, that he is knowable. Knowable. That God can't be known. That he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That he can be found. But this, I look at the word, the word that sticks out to me, diligent, implies effort, energy. Um, it's not a passive thing. This Christian life, it's not passive. I mean, I got to gather it in. I got, I'm going to have to put a little effort out. It's going to get what it's meant to be. I got to invest my heart into it. I got I to read it. I got to read it. I can't just like every now and then casually glance. I mean, I really got to go at this a little bit and let it get into my person. And it's the last thing I'll say, and this is, this is where we'll leave off. And it's, it's the fourth piece to this. Is that a lot of times also it means that we're not only just going to have to expend our effort, but we're also going to have to remember that it works best when our goal is not simply observation, but it's activation. And I think what I'm trying to say there is, in other words, the goal is implementing not just knowing. Because, you know, and I've, I'm, I have, this is a simple saying, and I've heard it said before, but to know and not do is to really not, is to not really know. To know and not do, do is really not to know. And it implies that it's just not theory. It has to have an activation for this to work. I mean, there's something different about, you know, we may know something, but there's a difference between kind of knowing about it and actually doing it, experiencing it. You see the difference? It's like this. They, the Israelites, if they would have said, oh, you know, the God, Moses said the, 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 the manna's outside the door, so you walk outside the door, and then you just go, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. <laughs> and, and that's it. You're no, there's, you get no blessing of what it was meant to be. Or you can say, wow, no, 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 no. I'm going to gather this stuff up. I'm going to take it, and I'm going I'm to stick it right here. Oh, that's, that's very impressive. <laughs> very impressive. God did an amazing. No, no, no. It has no real value until it's poured out, kneaded up, whatever, and then what? Put in into me. And that's when the nourishment comes. You see? See? Otherwise, it's just a nice thing. Uh, but wow, but it's in me now. And what it was meant to be was alive in me. And at some level, and this kind of illuminates what Jesus says, his word broken and taken in it becomes, a, he says, unless you eat of my, well, think about it, he, I, unless you eat of me, what is he saying? Take me in, let me into your life, your word is a life to me. 
You know, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word, the scripture says. David said, your word have I hid in my heart that I would not sin against you. The, the, the prophet Jeremiah says, your word is like a hammer. It breaks the rock into pieces. God, your word can do this. Power there. It, I, am, I am saying the Lord wants to fashion us. He wants us to take it in. He wants his word to be a part of our being so that our actions increasingly reflect his reality in our life. But it has to come in to come out. It has to be experienced inside of us to come out of us. It will show up. That's the good news. It will. As true as, as day follows night, his word brought in will produce an effect of blessing. It will show up in a person's life. And again, we don't always get it right, but it will show up. And the Lord's goal is to fashion us into the people he wants us to be. And it's, it's, it's a divine interaction. It's a dance with the Lord. It's a great work of art that he wants to do, forming and shaping and moving so that we can be the blessings we were meant to be in the lives of other people while we're alive here in this life. Lord, I want to thank you because your word is life to us. And as we prepare to close this service out, Lord, in the song that we're going to share after the offering time, this, this song called Fashion, reminds me so much, Lord, of what we've just shared, that you have a desire for us. You want to shape us and mold us and make us, Lord. You have a purpose and a plan for our lives. That You have things that you want to work into us, things that you want to work out of us, Lord, but a lot of that is connected to letting your word live in us. So I pray that some of us would take more seriously this great invitation to feast with you and that we would remember that we were not meant just for work and just to wander aimlessly through this life, but we were meant to know you, to love you, and to know you through your words, Lord, because your words are your letters of love to us. And they remind us of things, both true and hard sometimes, but real and honest. And so I pray for your blessing over our closing minutes, this closing song, before we go into the rest of this beautiful day. We thank you for this time we've shared together. In Jesus' name, amen, Lord. Amen.